You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Uh, we are actually in the midst of a series um, called Beautiful Tension, and I just want to share a little bit today about possibly one of the greatest Christmas verses in the Bible, and, and it's out of Isaiah. And uh, I tell you, uh, here in this life, we can know the gender of a baby in 20 weeks. Uh, but for Mary, Mary had a divine ultrasound before she even conceived. For God had chosen her and picked her and said, you will have a boy. And this boy is the promised Messiah who is alive and in heaven, who is God and he's coming. His name will be called Emmanuel. And uh, today I want to unwrap uh, one verse. Uh, I want to highlight a couple others, but I want to focus on one verse. It's probably the most significant prophecy of Christ, and it's Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This was prophesied 700 years before Jesus was even born. And, uh, you know, we sing that song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You know, we sing that song and it seems like everything is happy and awesome at Christmas time. But Christmas is actually a reminder of a really big problem. And that problem is uh, a problem that we have caused ourselves, a problem that we have inside. You know, I'll... Uh, I saw this, uh, it said on on a wall in a picture, it said said on the wall, it says, Jesus saves. And then underneath it, somebody wrote, stamps. And it's like we almost don't understand the the, the magnificence, the the bigness, the largeness of, of what he saved us from because we don't understand the problem. We don't understand that Christmas is not only a time of happiness and joy, but it's also a reminder of a severe Problem. Christmas is both a problem and a promise. Christmas reminds us of a massive problem and a magnificent promise. The solution is so complex, so unique, that only God could orchestrate it. We talked a little bit about this last week, but I want to lay the groundwork with this verse and why it's so important is that the problem, this massive problem is called sin. The Bible tells us that every one of us has a problem called sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have altogether become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. If there's anything good in us... It's because God is motivating us and moving us apart from God. We are selfish, selfish people. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that the very intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. See, that's our heart. That is our heart. Always thinking what I can get, what I can have. We tend to live our lives satisfying ourselves. Do you know what the problem with Christmas is? You're looking at it. The problem with Christmas is me. I'm the problem with Christmas. You're the problem with Christmas. I'm what's wrong with the world. 
I'm done. We should all be done with pointing the fingers because the problem with Christmas is that, is that Christ had to come because there's a massive problem, and it's you, and it's me. The uh, 1800s had a, had a very popular uh, professional baseball player turned evangelist. His name was Billy Sunday, and he was kind of like this ultra celebrity. I went, it'd be like if... if, if um, if uh, if Jordan, you know, uh, became an evangelist, all of a sudden, I mean, Michael Jordan, this like professional athlete, basketball player, if he became this like on fire, you know, really intense preacher, that is what Billy Sunday was. And everywhere he went, massive crowds would show up. And at uh, one time he asked the Columbus, Ohio mayor, who is also uh, a Christian, he said, uh, bring me a list of everyone in the city that's really struggling with sin. And the mayor brought him a list and it was the city phone book because he said, we are all sinful. See, the problem's me. The problem's is you. We can't grasp the true glory of this magnificent solution until we understand the depth of this massive problem. If we don't get this, we miss Christmas Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind. They all take us away, because even our good actions are really motivated by our intentions of trying to do something good to motivate ourselves. And you you see, the the Bible's clear that this problem is a... Is something that we can't fix ourselves. It's something that we can't solve. That's why Christmas. That's why a baby. That's why he came. The problem with Christmas is that we are filthy. We're dirty. We're sinful. We need a savior. Isaiah 59 two says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. I want you to imagine for a minute that this stage is split into two halves and right down the middle is a separation line. And on one side is God who loves you and cares for you and, and has a plan for your life. And this great chasm, this great line, this of separation that Isaiah says is there because our sin separates us from God. And, and we can't climb. We can't build a bridge. We can't We can't jump. There's nothing we can do to fix this problem. It is a separation that Isaiah says. And that's why this great verse in Isaiah is so magnificent because this is the answer. You were ready for some good news? 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born. For to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What is this promise? It is the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is I want to take just a few minutes to unpack a few important parts about that verse, about this promise that has been given to us for Christmas. And the first thing is this in Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for to us. I want you to realize something. God did something active. God came to us. God reached out to us. We can't cross the barrier. We can't get to him. But God came to us. He 
crossed the ravine. He left his throne in heaven and walked the earth. God did something active for to us, to us. He cares enough for you that he came to you. God cares enough for this world that he came into this world. Romans 1, 6 says, for while we were still weak, while I want you to imagine that line, while we were still weak at the right time. Everybody say at the right time. 2,000 years ago, that was the right time. And at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for to us. Christmas is God moving towards us, reaching out to us. The next part of that verse says, a child is born to us, a son. I want you to realize God did something humble. You see, he is is the God of the universe, the very one who spoke life into existence, who said, let there be light, and there was. And he sits on the throne of thrones. The Bible says that that the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. That's, that's, That's figure of speech saying that everything is his. The universe is his throne. But yet he came as a child. He came as a son. God became a man and he crossed this ravine. The answer to the problem, a baby? Think about it. Have you ever said never send a a boy to do a man's job. You ever heard that phrase? Never send a boy to do a man's job, but that's what he did. He sent a boy. He sent an infant. The infinite became an infant. God himself to the rescue, transforming us from sinners to sons that Christmas. The promised solution had arrived. When you think of the magnitude of the problem, you don't think a baby. Why would he come as a baby? Because how he came reflects the intention of his heart. God wasn't, fine, I'll solve your stupid problem. Ah! No, he came humbly. He came in a way in which we are to come to him with humility. God himself, he came not born to a queen, but a peasant. Not born in a big city, but in a tiny town, Bethlehem. Not born to a party, but into poverty. He came in humility and expects us to do the same, laying down our pride. He became a child, a son. Jesus walked this life. He was held in the arms of his mother and his foster family raised him. For to us, a child is born. This is personal. Look at this. Isaiah 9 says, so to us, a son, not just a child, but a son, a family member. See, what God did is personal. He didn't sit back and say, you have a problem. Sorry, sucks to be you. But he acted, he involved for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This was a personal deal for God. God didn't send a generic angel being that could not lay down their life for our sins, but he came himself. It was personal. I want you to realize this, that God loves you personally. You're not a number in the kingdom of God. You're not just a number to God. He cares. He knows about your life, about your problems, about your concerns, about your worries. He knows it's personal for him. He loves you deeply. And this was something that he did that was personal for you. It was a willful, intentional, personal act. 
He stepped out and he stepped down to meet us, giving his son. Unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. Here's the last thing I want you to realize about this verse, that God did something different. God did something different. It says this, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. I want you to hear this for a second because uh, this is often missed. When Isaiah 9-6 is often read or put on a mug or put on a poster, that part right there is often left out of the pictures, left it out of the posters. It's like dot, 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 and then it jumps to the next part where it says his name is Wonderful Counselor and and the other names we're going to talk about. He says, uh, he says, that is often skipped, but yet it's the only portion of that verse that's talked about in the following verses. So it's pretty important. It's pretty significant. What does it mean? Well, first of all, I want you to realize that when it says, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, that word government is the word Messiah, which basically means it's only used two times in the entire Old Testament, and it means seat of control. It says the seat of of control will be on him. It doesn't mean it will attack him or abuse him or be uh, trying to tear him down. That's what a lot of people think it means. But it means is that the seat of government will be his. Now, I want you to hear this out a little bit because this is interesting. Because when he came, his disciples thought he was going to set up a government. They thought that he was going to somehow overthrow the Roman government and set up a throne and, and uh, build a new temple and uh, have, a, have his throne set up right there in the temple and that he was going to be the king of an earthly government. He will do that one day, but that was not his plan then. What he did was totally different than what they expected. He came in a different way. Here's a few thoughts about this government issue before I, I, I close our time. Is it, I want you to realize this, a few thoughts. Is number one is that the world's governments can't fix the world. There is nothing in this planet, person-wise, that will ever fix the world. I want you to think about this. We, we think, well, well the, you know, the next guy will fix it. My party's guy will fix it. You know, this, this political position, this, this law, this, this somehow they've got it, this, this amendment, whatever. We think that somehow we can fix the problems of the world through government. The problem is this, that human government, all of it is broken. People's motives are suspect and people's hearts are sinful. We think, well, he can do it or she can do it. So-and-so will fix everything. He's God's man. Let me tell you something. God's man is seated at the right hand of the Father. We are to pray for our leaders and encourage them, but they are not the solution. Almost everything is wrong with human government. In America, we are blessed with a government that is probably the most stable. I believe it's the best. It's the most sound, but yet we are terribly broken. Who's going to fix it? Well, Jesus Christ. Here's a second thought. Is it God intends to fix this world by way of Jesus Christ? When he says the government shall be his, it's because he is the answer. I want you to hear this. There's two advents. Everybody say advent. The word advent means the arrival. Ad is the, vent is arrival. It's Latin and it means the arrival. Advent. And over time, it's also been transliterated to mean the coming. And there is a first arrival and a second arrival, or a first coming and a second coming. The Bible says that on that first coming, it says, Unto us a child 
is born, a son is given. That is the first advent. And then when it says, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, that's the second advent. You see, the first time he came, he came to establish a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom of the heart, a kingdom of the mind, a kingdom that is spiritual, one that releases the weight and burdens of sin off of our lives into a heavenly kingdom that is not of this world. The first advent is the first coming of Christ. The second advent is his return where the Bible says at that moment, he will establish a new kingdom on this earth and the government shall be on him. That's the second advent. Christmas is the celebration of the first advent, a savior is born and the guarantee of a second advent, a king that is coming. Interestingly, of all the things listed in that verse, only this government issues what is talked about in the next verse. This is verse nine, uh, chapter nine, verse seven. The very next verse says of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That's a forever kingdom. When he comes back, it will be permanent. There's no elections with Jesus. He says, and the throne of David and over his kingdom. That means he's going to be a forever king to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's a kingdom that is perfect, a a kingdom of perfection. And the zeal of the Lord, that's a kingdom of power. Zeal means intense passion and power. He says, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's a kingdom of promise. You see, notice that it's his zeal. It's his passion. It's his, it's his intense passion and love that guarantees that this will happen. It's the zeal of the Lord, his passionate love for us that guarantees this will be done. God's power and ability is great. He can And we'll accomplish this. And we can either acknowledge his kingdom now and enjoy the relationship with him, or we will face him at his second advent in our sins and have to deal with him as a holy God if we are in our sins. Jesus first came as Savior, but one day he's coming back as a ruling king. Christmas is a reminder that he came once, And I guarantee he's coming again. When you think of Christmas, don't just think of the manger. Think of a white horse. And he who sits on it has fire in his eyes. And a long white robe. And a tattoo on his thigh that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. Or when he returns, that cradle is a humble coming. His second is a glorious Understand this, Jesus is already Lord. He's already King. Acts 10, 36, their message was, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. I want you to realize this, he is already Lord. He is already King, but when he comes again, he will establish it on earth and every knee at that time. If you haven't yet, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. When he returns, he will establish that rule. But until then, you get to know him and you get to serve him and you get to enjoy even now the blessings of that coming kingdom. Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders. This is my final thought and I want to pray with this is is this. It says, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. The final thought is this, there is no limit to his shoulders. 
If he can carry the weight of the world upon his shoulders, I think he can carry your problem. I think he can carry your struggle. Whatever you're going through today, he can carry you. He can carry you. Isaiah 9, 6 goes on to say, for he is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is the everlasting father and the prince of peace. Those are significant names. And next week, we're going we're gonna to wrap up this verse. Next week, I want to give you four Christmas promises based on those four names of Jesus that are for you. A Christmas promise from God to you next week. Names are important. Let's take a look at them. I want to end by showing this video to you, and it's a reminder that Christ has come to bear the weight of this world upon his shoulders, and he can bear the weight of your world on his shoulders. If you're here today and and you would like to know the peace giver, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, if you would like to know the one who can bear the weight of your life on his shoulders, then as this video is playing, I want you just to embrace the message of this video. And as soon as it's done, I want to pray for you. Let's watch this. Five gift cards given, one out of five gift cards are used. That means four out of five get shuffled away in a closet or a wallet or on a desk. It's estimated that's $972 million that is unused, a gift that is given that is never truly received and used. You've been extended a gift that's way more valuable today than a gift card. Don't put it on a shelf and wait for next Christmas. Don't put it under the bed or put it next to a nightstand. Will you unwrap this gift today? It's the greatest gift 
you could ever receive. Let's pray. God, I pray in Jesus' name. God, if there's someone here, the Lord, that, God, this is their year to finally receive Christ and to open up that wonderful gift of salvation. God, I pray, Lord, that right now, if there's anyone here, Lord, that they would, God, I know that you're tugging on their heart and working in their heart right now. As we sit here, we just talk to Jesus for a moment. Say, Jesus, if that's you, just say, Jesus, here's my heart. Go ahead and tell him, Jesus, here's my heart. Here's my life. Here's my sin. Forgive me. Wash me clean. I give you my life. I give you my heart. Take all that I have and all that I am, God. I think I have more questions than answers, but Lord, I know that you're able to take me and walk me through the questions. Here I am, Jesus. I will unwrap the gift that humble, active, loving, caring gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.